Welcome. My name is Gilly, and this is Gilly Mack in the Wayback Podcast. Episode 3, Pensive in Pennsylvania. The definition of pensive is engaged in, involving, or reflecting deep or serious thought. This podcast is going to be a I said what I said type of show, and I'm not going to apologize for my feelings or my thoughts. Sometimes when I'm talking, my words get a little twisted. I put some ums and ahs in there, and that's going to be in this show because this is in the moment. This is real life. Why am I pensive in Pennsylvania? Well, over the last few months, there's been a lot going on in our nation, the United States of America. The death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, um, Ahmaud Arbery, the racist incident that took place in Central Park with the bird watcher and the woman with her dog. I mean, just many, many different events. And this was not only this year, but over several years, decades, there have always been terrible incidents where black and brown people have been victimized by non-black people. And um, whenever it's the case of a white police officer harming uh, a black person uh, and lying about it, an unarmed black person and trying to cover up the truth, uh, black people get very upset, as we should. And when our voices are unified and we are a collective whole, we have protests. And, you know, the many manifestations that result from protests to strike change because we live in a nation that was built on the degradation and the enslavement of Black and Brown people. We live on a nation that has for centuries, generations, um, treated Black people as the lower caste. And I understand that. One of the things that I'm going to be talking about is uh, conversations that I've had with people who I consider intellectuals, people who are pro-Black, people who are vocal about this moment that we're living in with the unrest, with the racial tensions, as well as having a president who is a buffoon and highly incompetent. Um, I live in Philadelphia, as you should know by now, if you've listened to my other two podcast episodes. And Philadelphia is a major city, uh, the fifth largest city in the United States, and it has one of the highest homicide rates, even higher than New York City, which is a much larger uh, city. In Philadelphia. Uh, I always say that, you know, I feel uncomfortable protesting and marching about an unjust killing of an unarmed black person by the hands of a white police officer. And then going back into my community where I know that night there might be three or four murders of an unarmed black person by another black person. Now that sounds harsh, but it's the truth. And whenever I bring up this topic of black on black crime, a lot of the people that I consider intellectuals or pro-black get really quiet and they don't wanna talk about it. They want me to shut up. They feel that I'm missing the point. 
a lot of times the arguments that you'll hear on YouTube or talk shows or CNN is that black on black crime is a myth or it's not really as bad as uh, people are saying or it is a tactic of racist conservatives or people who are trying to um, deflect from what is happening with police brutality. And as a black woman who lives in a community that has a um, pretty substantial crime rate and homicide rate, I'm going to say that's not my tactic at all. I'm not saying this because I'm a conservative or I'm a racist against my own people. I'm saying it because it is a fact. It is a fact that I have had black males in my family who have been murdered by other black males, more than 10. I'm not a very old woman, so that's a high number at any age. I uh, have also seen, you know, violence take place right before my eyes. Just the innocent bystander talking to someone and the next thing you know, they're shooting and someone is shot. And as a matter of fact, last year I did witness the shooting of a young man who I later found out died from th- that uh, gunshot. I come home sometimes and I see police. They've barricaded an area of my neighborhood. There's crime tape up and I find out that there was a shooting. A woman who lives in the community, she's a prayer warrior, as she calls herself, very religious, very committed to keeping the community clean and safe. You can always find her outside tending to her garden. Uh, A few years ago, she shared with me that she was um, kind of in a, a, a disagreement with some of the corner hanger outers, you know, the people who hang on the corner up to no good or mischief. And perhaps they were doing something and she called the police on them. And, you know, she just kind of was patrolling her neighborhood. And that year, um, a gunshot went through her window and missed her, nearly missed her, you know, and that was a form of intimidation. This wasn't a police, a white police officer shooting a gun through this black woman's house. These were black men who lived in her community, who knew who she was and knew what she was about. So that's what I'm going to be talking today about. And that's why I'm pensive, because I feel like I am in a really bad horror movie where I'm talking to people who I still should understand where I'm coming from and agree like, yeah, this this is lopsided. This is unbalanced. You know, we are in this really important moment where change is starting to happen why can't we allow that to evolve into talking about our own unification and stopping the violence that's taking place in our own communities on on each other and it always stops before we get to that point I feel and it's making me very upset so much so that it was very hard for me to even start this podcast because I just had so many feelings welling up in me and knowing that there'll be so many haters and so many people saying you don't know what you're talking about or you're an undercover conservative or whatever you know at this point it's like yeah no these are facts I live in a community I live in a hood if you want to call it that and I see this and it's uncomfortable and it's crazy and it doesn't make sense you have to address this or it will kill us okay 
How the hell do you expect somebody to love you or think your life matters if it don't mean damn nothing to you? If it don't mean nothing to you, why do you want someone else to think your life matters? Black lives have to matter to black people. And that's important. And pleading and protesting and marching for white people to care about you okay you know what but when you go home and you live with someone who might shoot their friend of 20 years over a disagreement or for whatever reason and nobody in the neighborhood will say anything about it because snitches get stitches what the hell kind of mentality is that who the hell are we Are black people vicious people where we kill each other and then we threaten anyone who wants to have justice for the person who was slain? We're so intimidated by ourselves. We're KKK in ourselves. Yes, I did say that. Okay? Listen, I'm feeling some high emotions because this makes me upset and I wish that this was an episode that I didn't even have to put together. I wish that I could just talk about all the positive changes that are happening now because of the Black Lives Matter protests and the movements and now it's okay to kneel before a basketball and football game and all of that, but no, I need to address this. It needs to be addressed. It's important. I'm going to be sharing some clips from newspaper articles, some uh, audio from uh, different interviews from all over the nation in regards to what I'm talking about with emphasis on Pennsylvania, specifically Philadelphia, because I am pensive in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And um, I hope you listen and just give me a fair chance in all of this. Thank you. St. Louis became so frustrated with the violence in the black community, she posted this critique to her Facebook page that has now gone viral. Take a look. A little girl is dead. You say black lives matter? Her life matters. Police brutality? How about black brutality? There is real police brutality out there. I will give you that. But night after night after night on Channel 4, Channel 2, Channel 5, Channel 30, Channel 11. St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Murder, 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 murder. Black on black murder. You think the police are out here for fun? You think they're out here for games? They're not going to tuck you in. They're not going to give you a cookie and and sing you a a, a lullaby and tuck you in. This next sound bite is from Stevie Wonder, one of the most prolific and heavy thinkers in music in generations. This is him talking about black-on-black violence. It is in your hands to stop all the killing and all the shooting, wherever it might be. Because you cannot say black lives matter and then kill yourself. This 
This following clip is from a news report on NBC Channel 11. After 72 people were shot in one weekend in the city of Chicago, that city's mayor is calling for everyone there to work together. And Jana, that violent weekend is also shining a spotlight on another issue. And it's an issue some don't talk about. Who is killing these black victims? Not whites, not the police, but other blacks. Look at that smile! He ready for school! KG Wilson bears a heavy cross, literally. And this cross is about 400 pounds. And figuratively. <sighs> Sometime I feel alone. Sometime I feel alone. Alone, responding to a silent call for help. KG's past is embedded in Chicago's present. This weekend, 72 people were shot and at least 13 were killed. KG's heart is heavy. The violence here and the violence in Chicago, back home in Chicago. What it's, my mission has been for 15 years now is the focus on us. Um, and when I mean people of color, it's something that has kept a secret. Uh, and many times it's connected to stop snitching. Snitches get stitches. Yes. Yes. And the ones that don't get snitched on continue to hurt and kill and uh, terrify and destroy our community. This clip is from a newscast where uh, Judge Shelton is talking about uh, two cars of black men shooting at each other until one of them uh, crashed and was shot and killed. Um, and they're shooting on a highway and uh, while other people are driving and other people are out and about. And this was his response. Judge Shelton. To the total disregard and safety of the public. Things were just getting started. I just, I'm tired of seeing non-black men shooting at each other in this community, in this nation. I don't understand it. I grew up in a time when people wore white robes and they shot at black people. And now we see young black men wearing black hoodies shooting at black men and doing much more effective job than the Klan ever thought about doing. I'm sick of it. As you might expect, the head of the Clarksville branch of the NAACP had some words after hearing that from the judge, but they were words. And he was just trying to make a point. In support of him. The judge was on point. He was on point when he actually made that analogy. He says he knows Judge Shelton and agrees with him in this case. When you use that as an analogy, they are doing a better job because they are killing one another. They're not... They're killing one another. He says people who might criticize what Judge Shelton said need to look at themselves first. Ask themselves, what are they doing to try to help young black or young white or young brown kids to stop killing one another? Soon in the courtroom, it was back to business as usual. $500,000. After the judge's comment, though, it was time for a break. This is a CBS uh, news report. Uh, CBS Channel 3 in Philadelphia. This was earlier this year in 2020. Like we are on a violent trend. That shooting where you're at happening as six people have been murdered in Philadelphia since yesterday. 13 people have been killed so far in 2020. It is only, as you know, January 12th. Eyewitness News reporter Dan Koo picks up our coverage live at Philadelphia Police Headquarters. Dan. 
Yeah, Joe, as you mentioned, it is only January 12th, and the murder rate in our city seems to be keeping pace with days in the calendar. And if this weekend is any indication, it's not slowing down anytime soon. Mr. Warzak, six homicides, five shootings, and a stabbing near Luke's Lobster in Center City by Rittenhouse Square summarized a summer-esque weekend. Center City on a warm Saturday night. Um, as you can see around here, there's plenty of foot traffic as well as vehicle traffic. Few corners of the city were spared. You know, I'm an older man, I'm 53. I've been through, I've been through the hood, so I know what's going on. I know that things happen. I've been through it. I, I live in here. I, I've been a part of it. But it makes no sense. From Center City to Kensington, West Philadelphia, and just blocks off St. Joseph's University, including the 3100 block of Rosewood Street in North Philly, where a 15-year-old boy was shot in the chest and killed. We're dealing with carnage. And, and these, these young people are murdering one another at a rate that is approaching genocide over nothing. Number six occurred just after 1 p.m. Sunday, just off the campus of St. Joseph's University. On the He's right. It is genocide. Black people are killing each other at the rate of genocide. Let's just think about that for a second. I want to see the outrage. I want to see the protest. I want to see the commitment of celebrities and other uh, officials saying that we're going to march about accountability in our community, about respecting our own lives and making sure that our children will be the future because they will have the opportunity to live their life. Every night, every day in this city, a black man, a black woman is murdered, killed by another black person without fail. This next excerpt that I'm going to play is from Riptide Films movie Sankofa, which is dealing with the Black Lives Matter movement and its tie to Philadelphia. This is a young man who lives in the inner city of Philadelphia, um, giving his thoughts and opinions. When people speak on Black Lives Matter, I mean, uh, I don't think it's as big to me as they think it is. You know, they see it's a movement. But, uh, you know, we got black on black crimes every day here in Philadelphia, especially my neighborhood. You know, it ain't really too much cop killing going on in the city where I'm from. So, like, we, we people will apply by that, but not everybody, not the hood people, because, I mean, we know what's really going on in, in the neighborhood. Like, black on black crimes, it ain't really black people killing white people or Black people talking down on white people. It's black people talking down on black people. Black people killing black people. Black males raping black females. You know what I'm saying? It ain't really, it ain't really big where I'm from. We did. This um, audio is from a news clip of a black DC resident who is telling um, a group of protesters um, her issues with Black Lives Matter. The woman is a African woman, a woman of African descent, and she's very passionate. She's very angry and hype. And I can't say that I agree with everything that she's saying, but she is making some valid points. And so this is a little excerpt from what she says. 
black problem. It's a violence problem. The blacks kill blacks in black neighborhoods every single day. I've never seen a black life matter in those neighborhoods. Never. Never. You know what they say? When the black person kill a black in a black neighborhood, they come out and they say, when the police come, do you know what they tell the police? Stitches get stitches. I know. Stitches get stitches. But if a white person kill a black person, black life matter. Stop the hypocrisy. Nobody takes this seriously. Nobody. If it matters, it should matter in black neighborhoods. You start cleaning at home. So why don't you go? Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. James Baldwin. Snitches get stitches. Current word on the street. The following clip is disturbing. It is uh, placed on YouTube. It is filming a black man beating another black man to a bloody pulp because he snitched on him. Um, and there are countless videos like this uploaded to Facebook and YouTube where um, Black people are uh, beating a person because they were accused of telling on uh, something that happened in the community, a crime or a murder or an attack, um, telling the police um, and, and being a witness to it. So they get beat down. And in some uh, instances, they are murdered, beaten to death. So this is an excerpt from um, a beating that takes place. You're running away too far now. Police Oh, that's it. There you go. Fuck ass up. Get your fuck ass up. Tighten the man up. Tighten you want that snake? Tighten him up. You do? Come on, man. Let go, man. So basically with that, what happened was he said, you're policing now. Apparently the man spoke to the police about something that happened in the community and um, uh, other black men surrounded him. One is videotaping and the other one um, beats him pretty severely uh, for saying something. Um, and again, this is just another example of the complete and total hatred that Black people are showing for themselves. Um, yet there is this great need for white police officers to respect and think that uh, Black people are worthy of um, being here. <laughs> They are, absolutely. We are humans, but it's so crazy because you have a group of people who show so little respect for themselves begging a group who has a known history of not treating Black people well, not caring about Black lives, uh, having animosity against Black people, you know, um, and it's sort of like we're petitioning to these people who we know don't like us to like us, 
to value us, stop killing us, which is a legitimate concern. Don't kill us. Who the hell are you? You know, leave us the hell alone. But on the other hand, we need to address that we are surpassing white police officers in our own murder and brutality. And we have no respect for ourselves. And when we are using the word, the N-word, while we're beating another Black man, it is not a term of endearment. It is not said with uh, love or, you know, as a nickname. It is said with complete and total hatred. I want to kill you. I want to beat you down. Yes, you are a Black man like me. I don't care anything about you. I will kill you. And that is sickening. And this is why I'm doing this podcast. I cannot take it anymore. It is insane. Those were just some audio clips that I wanted to share. Uh, And it wasn't all in Pennsylvania. Um, Some was from Minnesota, uh, Chicago. But just to give an overview of what's really going on in the community. I feel a lot of times that people who are the the biggest voices against uh, talking about Black-on-Black crime or saying that it's just a myth or that it's being exaggerated are people who don't really live in the hood, who don't really live in those communities. Though they may be invested, they have the safety and security of their community that may not be as afflicted um, by this um, carnage. Or they just have blinders on. But I feel that if you live in a community, in a city, or another area in this nation where you're dealing with this, you can't afford to have the blinders on. And if you're really honest with yourself, you know that this is an alarming and horrible trend that is rapidly growing each and every year. I remember when I was a teenager in the 1990s and there were a lot of uh, murders of young African-American men um, from early teens to about mid to late 20s. That was sort of the targeted percentage uh, age for the deaths. And it was always the majority black men. I uh, started doing some research for a project that I was going to uh, work on with some gentlemen who were incarcerated, and I stumbled across a data bank system online that had a list of homicide um, victims. Uh, The range now currently is 29 years. So this data base started in 1988. And currently, it has data up until 2017. So um, they haven't updated in uh, the last three years. So when I first uh, stumbled upon it, they would have the name of the victim, the age of the victim, the race and gender of the victim, uh, the cause of death, and they also had the race and gender of the perpetrator. Now, 
I don't know if they've updated it. Uh, I can't find the original documents that I stumbled upon several years ago. But now when I look upon it, they don't have the race of the perpetrator or the perpetrator listed at all. And that might be because they got some pushback because it was apparent that it was mostly black on black crime. And it was mostly males who were being murdered by other black males. And it was alarming. It was sad. Uh, I also met if you will, a young man by the name of Kyrie Coates. I didn't actually meet him because he had been murdered, but I was in a cemetery doing a project and I saw a young woman with a man go to a headstone. And my own cousin Reggie was buried in that cemetery and something told me to go to her. And I and I uh, started talking to her and she shared that her uncle, Kyrie, uh, was buried there and she was bringing her fiance to meet her uncle. Um, her uncle had died when she was a young girl and um, he was very important to her and she felt that he should meet her soon-to-be husband. So I told her that I was working on a play about people who were interred at that particular cemetery. And from there, I got a chance to find out about Kyrie Coates, who was the first homicide in the year 1999 in the city of Philadelphia. He was killed January 1st, 1999. Just a little shy of his 20th birthday, he was 19. He actually was killed before he turned 20. But on the data bank, they have him listed at 20 because one would assume that a 19-year-old, a 19-year-old would make it to their 20th birthday, especially if they were only a few days or weeks away from it. He did not. I met Kyrie's mother, Miss Alice, and I interviewed her for a book that I was doing, and she told me the story of Kyrie. When I look at the data bank from 1999 of the list of homicides for that year, it starts off January 1st, 1999, Kyrie Coates, 20 years old, male, black, firearm was the cause of his death. January 2nd, 1999, Mitchell Henry, 30 years old, male, black, firearm was his cause of death. January 2nd, 1999, Freddie Hawkins, 20, male, black, firearm was the cause of his death. January 3rd, 1999, Anthony Wright, age 37, male, black, firearm was the cause of his death. January 4th, 1999, George Maddox, 26, male, black, firearm was the cause of his death. January 6th, 1999, James Barnes, 42, male, black, firearm was the cause of his death. January 7th, 1999, Rahid Garin, 21, male, black, firearm was the cause of his death. January 8th, 1999, Jerry Armstrong, 23, male, black, firearm was the cause of his death. January 8th, 1999, Guy Green, 22, male, black, firearm was the cause of his death. And the list goes on and on for hundreds of people. And about 85 to 90% of the homicides, male, black, firearm, the cause of the death, stabbing, the cause of death. And back then, the perpetrator was listed, and it was a black male who would kill the other black male. This isn't a lie. This is something that you can look up yourself. And I'm sorry to be dramatic, but I cannot stress this point enough. This is crazy. And I'm tired of people 
ignoring it and not talking about it as if we have no power, no power to activate ourselves in fight for our survival. Our ancestors did not fight for us to be our own killers. We are creating our own genocide and we say nothing. And we beg and we plead with white people to say that we matter. And we kill ourselves. Fast forward, 2017. That was from 1999. 2017 was the last list of homicides that they've updated on the databank. Years later, I go to January 1st, 2017. Surprise, surprise. Again, the first fatality homicide of the year in Philadelphia, 2017, years later from when Kyrie Coates was murdered, it is a black male. January 1st, 2017, Mark Fields, 41, male, black, firearm was the cause of his death. An argument was the reason he was murdered. January 2nd, 2017, Darren Morris, 23, male, black, firearm. January 5th, 2017, Sheen Sean Henderson, 26, male, black, firearm. January 6, 2017, Shannon Abdul Rahim, 29, male, black, firearm. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. And it's black and black and black and black and male and male and male and male. And no one's over 50. The first time there's someone not listed as black, they're listed as Hispanic. And it looks like a daggone typo because all you've ever seen is black, 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 black. Don't tell me that I don't have a right to talk about this. I think this is a good place to calm down for a moment. But Gilly, what about those experts who say black on black crime is not the reality? It's a myth. It's an exaggeration. What about them? This is an excerpt from the Mike and Donnie show talking about the myth of black on black crime. This is an example of how I feel some African-Americans dismiss this uh, situation that's going on in our nation. Take a listen. A very important topic. Yes, obviously, uh, it's an issue, but here's a stat a lot of people don't know. Only 1% of blacks overall in this country commit violent crimes in a given year. So, in your opinion, why do we hear so much about black on black crime? Why is that term thrown out there so much? I think the term black on black crime is here just to scare society mm. and the public and make them fearful of African-Americans or black people. Um, as you said, one percent are violent offenders. And even when we categorize people as a gang member or categorize them as a thug or an inmate or something like that, we're making sure society understands they're not like us. So black on black crime is just another way of telling society they're not like us. 
And that's important too because you, you think about it. Uh, like Donnie said, ninety-two percent of black-on-black crime against black people mm-hmm. committed by black people, violent crimes. But in other nationalities, oh, other cultures, you kill basically who you know, or you commit crimes against people who you know. Why don't we hear about white-on-white white crime? Why don't we hear about Asian-on-Asian Asian crime? So I, I work inside of a, a prison, kind of local here, and eighty percent of the inmates there have killed someone they knew, mm-hmm. and over fifty percent have have murdered. People who they loved, whether it was their spouse, their child, or something like that. So um, that's what happens. You know, the next argument, I guarantee you, I'm not your psychic friend, but I guarantee you the next argument you have is going to be with someone you love. There are countless other excerpts from uh, from leaders in Philadelphia and around the nation, African-American and other races, um, t- downplaying the impact of Black-on-Black crime and um, making it seem as though it's less of a problem. And perhaps if I didn't live in a community where there is a large percentage of Black-on-Black crime or come from a large African-American family where a lot of my cousins have been murdered by other Black men, then I could say, hey, I think you're right. I agree with it. But I actually live in the reality of the situation and know that that's not true, that Black-on-Black crime is a bad problem and it's getting worse every year. Right now, it is July of 2020. And um, the homicide rate is at an all-time high. In 2019, there were 356 homicides in the city. Um, And that was the highest that it had been since 2007, where there was um, 390-plus homicides, almost 400 homicides. Um, Again, mostly all Black males killing other Black males. This is an excerpt from um, a YouTuber called Fly Nubian King, and he's discussing Black-on-Black crime. And I'm going to share a little excerpt with you, and I'm listening to all of this with you, too. I've heard a little bit of it, but um, he's going to voice kind of my feeling where a lot of Black leaders feel like we can't talk about Black-on-Black crime and white uh, white cop brutality on Black people at the same time. Like, one takes away from, you know, talking about Black-on-Black crime takes away from the issue with uh, white police brutality. So I'm going to play this excerpt. Take a listen. Hey, what's up, guys? I was thinking about this uh, this this phenomenon, this concept called black-on-black crime. Um, you know, I, I find it really interesting that people somehow believe we can only address one issue at a time, um, that, you know, talking about black-on-black crime uh, is not is, is highly discouraged when we're talking about police killings. Um, and I think police killings are a problem. But more broadly, uh, police disrespect of black people is a bigger problem. Uh, you know, but, you know, black on black crime is a real thing. Um, and it's not caused by black people. I mean, we don't make guns in our communities. We don't grow coca leaves. But, you know, you go to a city like Chicago, and there's a massacre every week. I think last weekend we had over 100 people shot in Chicago. Now, maybe those people were white. Maybe all 100 victims or half of them were white. But, uh, you know, the, the Chicago I know, a lot of the homicide victims uh, tend to be black. And so I think that um, maybe we should label it something different so people don't get triggered by that term black-on-black crime. But there is a violence issue. Uh, when, when that many people are dying, you have to pay attention to it. You can't act like it's not there. 
or say, oh, well, white people kill white people, too. And, and that's fine. They do. But, you know, if you're really talking about, you know, black lives really mattering and us really caring about the lives of black people, then I would prefer to go to the place where the most black people are dying. So I think that that should be our criteria. If you really claim that you believe black lives matter, start your conversation in the places where the most black people are dying, because that's how you show that you really believe that, right? Like if I say, you know, money matters, then I'm going to go to the place where there's the most money. If I say my children matter, I'm not going to be out babysitting somebody else's children. I'm going to go take care of my own. So if you say black lives matter, then uh, black, if black lives matter, then that means we also have to address issues in black communities and addressing those issues. This is why I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. I'm just black. Uh, addressing those issues does not undermine whatever other agenda you might have. You can walk and chew gum at the same time. You can talk about police brutality and talk about, you know, all those black babies being shot up in the street in South Side of Chicago, West Side of Chicago, or in other places. You can talk about them both at the same time. And, I, and I, I'm really kind of offended by the lack of intelligence that people are pushing to tell you that you can't do both. So uh, that's what I believe. Uh, that's my two cents. Uh, let's figure out where those guns are coming from. Or with drug cartels, if they're bringing drug dope through the communities and getting people killed, if that's what it is, uh, why politicians are not uh, protecting these communities. You know, why can't, you know, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot protect black people the way she protects white people? Um, I think all those questions have to be asked. Uh, and you can still say Black Lives Matter and still go to the rally, still challenge the police. But you got to protect your people. You know, you can't just let people die all around you and say, well, we're not going to talk about it because the white folks at Fox News is going to use it against us. This excerpt is taken from the Candace Owens show, um, which is uh, published on YouTube. She is having a conversation with Professor Mark Lamont Hill, who is um, an educator in Philadelphia uh, at Temple University and has a very successful uh, book and coffee shop in Germantown in the Northwest section of Philadelphia called Uncle Bobby's. And they're having a discussion about the George Floyd murder, the Black Lives Matter uh, protest. And um, Candace brings up an issue about what she calls hypocrisy in the African-American community. Now, let me just preface this by saying I am not um, the biggest fan of Candace Owens. I feel that um, a lot of the things that she says I don't agree with, and I feel that she's one-sided sometimes in her approach. However, um, she has a she's making an interesting statement. So let's hear an excerpt from um, this conversation with Mark Lamont Hill and Candace Owens. Anyways, I am actually interested to think about what it means for us to fight for someone who wasn't perfect. Because very often we only fight for the, 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 the middle class, cisgendered, straight, heterosexual guy who was going to college on Monday like Mike Brown. And we, we have to put Trayvon on a horse to say that he didn't need to die. And it's like, that's not the point. You shouldn't have to be perfect. Well, I think it is the point because, and this is my problem with, with our community, is that the, you know Black Americans are hypocrites. We are hypocrites, right? So you say, oh, well, it's not the point. Well, where, where were we on the issues of kids getting shot? actual innocent black victims being killed, you know, every, every weekend, every day in the inner cities, nobody cares. You want, if you want to give somebody a funeral and you want to have it be five days long, why not do that for Tyshawn Lee, the nine-year-old kid who was wearing his school uniform playing basketball when he was lured into an alley by, you know, an older black man who then shot him point blank in the head two times because he didn't like his dad. And it was like, you know, it was gang violence. Nobody cared. 
You know, so this whole idea that there's this uprising because you care about black lives, don't pretend you care about black lives. You like the political expediency of caring about a black life, about a black life, if and only if, if and only it. Only when it, it they die at the hands of a police officer or die at the hands rather of a white person because it doesn't even have to be a police officer as long as it's a white person. But we kill ourselves faster and nobody cares. Do you, what can you can you name can you name the last ten black people that died of homicide in this country? Because it, it wasn't it wasn't George Floyd. Of course not. Of course not. But Why not? So because there is a oh, oh, let me go to the first point you made. Touch Lee, of course, that's something we should be uh, sad about. And I think black folk are. I don't, I've never met a black person who didn't care about black on black or the violence. Protests. We can talk about the protests of that. Um, just let me finish this, this other point, though. I think when you get to Touch Lee, the point is we mourn him, right? The, the issue with my issue with you with George Floyd was imagine if we, we, we mourn Touch Lee and we go to his funeral and then you bring up the fact that he was a schoolyard bully, hypothetically. Right. It'd be like, well, yeah, OK, maybe he was a schoolyard bully, but that's not relevant to this thing we're talking about right now. I'm OK with you talking about uh, violence within the community. The question is, do we want to bring it up here? And what, what political work does it do to criticize him in that space? I now, think it's especially important to bring it up there. And, and I'm not talking about being a schoolyard bully because that, that's totally different. That almost sounds petty. But when you're talking about somebody who ran drugs to the black community, a, a huge issue that black Americans always talk about. Oh, the reason there's so much addiction, you know, is, is because of. Uh, drugs, the reason that there's drugs, and people point to the idea that, you know, the CIA ran crack into the black communities. Um, but then when you want to talk about why we have this issue of drugs, we, 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 we want to martyr somebody who went to prison five times for selling drugs. Armed robbery, you want to talk about violence. I mean, we're talking about a man. This is not a guy who just was bullying people. I mean, you force your, your, your way into a woman's home and put a pistol to her stomach so that excerpt was from the Candace Owens show, and she goes into detailing George Floyd's life and his arrest records. And I don't want to get too in the weeds with that, but one of the things that I want to point out is when he she spoke of t um, the young man who was uh, shot in the head twice um, and murdered. Um, I had never heard of him before, and... Um, that's a big problem because one of the issues that I have is that a lot of times um, the people who are being murdered by other black people, uh, we don't hear too much about their story. We don't hear too much about their story, but if there is a death at the hands of a white police officer, then that's what gets most of the buzz. And uh, you have young, innocent victims whose story never gets told, and we don't know about them, and there's not a, a rally or a protest march um, celebrating their life and saying that their lives mattered. <laughs> This is an excerpt from uh, ABC Action News in Tampa, Florida, um, about a commitment to end Black-on-Black -black crime. And this is just another news um, uh, article, excuse me, news expose on um, the issues that the community is facing in Tampa. Take a listen. Land Councilman Frank Reddick tackles the topic of Black-on-Black -black crime, telling a crowd tonight the time to act is now, pointing to Tampa murder statistics that he says show black males make up the majority of suspects and victims. Dracula Glace explains the potential solutions he hopes can turn things around. Answers about curbing black-on-black -black crime. Statistics show 15 murders in Tampa so far this year. Two-thirds of those 
are black males. It's the 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds that are committing the crimes. Among those murder stats, the shooting death of dollar store manager Junior Shorter. The veteran recently moved to Tampa to take care of his sick mother, who was in attendance at tonight's town hall meeting. Someone come walk in there, they look just like him, and commit a senseless crime. The 23-year-old is the accused gunman. Councilmember Frank Reddick was so disturbed by the crime, he's calling for change in the black community. Black leaders in the community, we just can't sit back and say, this is happening every week. Community leaders came together to talk about solutions. And many in attendance agreed there needs to be a return to core values, like returning to church, taking education seriously, and realizing family is of fundamental importance. And those values must be instilled in young children. Something family counselor Madonna Sherrod strongly feels needs to happen sooner rather than later. I have three different families. Collectively, there are 20 children all together. And they've often drive by. This audio clip is from a TEDx talk, Jacksonville. Um, a white pastor is talking about his experience in the Black community. And this addresses my concern about the normalization of violence in the African-American community. This is coming from a white man. Here, let's listen to a little clip of this. Tell me what you think. When you turn on the radio in Jacksonville or New Orleans or Chicago or Little Rock, the only people on the radio that talk about how great it is to kill each other are black. How come that exists? 15 stations on a dial, go up, go down. The only people on the radio bragging about getting automatic weapons, gunning each other down, are black. This right here is a song. Uh, my pastoral vocabulary won't let me read the title. Uh, but I will read this. Catch a young black male not paying attention at the red light. With your AK-47, let me see you shoot it. You're a killer, you're a killer, you're a killer. You're a killer black male. Let me see you prove it. Why does this exist? I'll take it even further because a lot of time racism exists uh, in what we in, in what's, uh, we don't know, what we don't see. Where are the white killers on the radio? Where are the white AK-47 shooters? Where are the white drug dealers? Where are the white people on the radio that brag about what it's like to murder witnesses before trial? The truth is they don't exist. And the question is why? Why don't they exist? Do white people not kill people? Do white people not use AK-47s to shoot each other? I mean, we know, do white people not do drugs? Do they not deal drugs? Of course they do. But why is it that it doesn't make it to our mainstream radio? Why is it that we don't hear it hundreds of times a day in uh, hundreds of cities across the nation, thousands of plays that say the idea that a black guy would kill another black guy is something to be celebrated, something to be romanticized? And why is it the white people don't do it? And maybe that, maybe it's because there's no white audience for it. Or maybe it's because it's not really marketable. Maybe because it's not, can't get sponsors. I don't know why it is. Uh, or maybe it's because it's just not the white man's role. Or maybe when white people get up and talk about being drug dealers and AK-47 killers, maybe it's even sicker than that. Maybe when white people do it, they're accused of acting black. The truth is in America, black murder is normal. Black murder is normal. The idea that a black man or a black woman would be involved in a homicide, either as a perpetrator or a victim, is so common, so broadly accepted that it basically goes unnoticed. The truth of the matter is black families are affected by homicide at rates of 10 times their white counterparts. There will be more death in the form of homicide involving black people this year than any other form of violence that dominates our national conversation. More than school shootings, mall shootings, mass shootings, workplace shootings, lovers' twists uh, twist that turn violent and bloody. 
even more than in war and in terrorism, no one will lose their life in greater numbers than black Americans involved in violence. Now, when you talk about what's going on in one segment of society and somehow tie it to what's going on someplace else, you kind of lose people, they detach. This is our unknowing. Prejudice, discrimination, and racism are not the same. We know prejudice, it exists in human hearts and minds. Discrimination exists in hands and policies. But racism, it is neither in hearts and minds, nor is it really in policies. As a matter of fact, it doesn't take action to keep racism going. It takes inaction. It doesn't take hearts and minds to keep racism going. It actually has to keep things out of people's minds. Racism is like the millstone that churns along in the background. It just goes generation in and generation out and keeps turning out the same generational outcomes. Racism is like the uh, nicotine stains left on the walls after the smoking tenants move out. They take the couch, they take the clock, they take the picture, but the evidence that they've been there still remains. Let's take our way back machine all the way back to 1990. 30 years ago, September 2nd, 1990, we have two lifelong friends, Darren Norwood, age 19, and Terrence Ryans, age 18. They were on their way back home from a movie they attended at 40th and Walnut Street off of the campus of the University of Pennsylvania when they were approached by a group of five African-American young men who riddled them with bullets, killing them immediately. Darren and Terrence were African-American, as were their killers. Police didn't have a motive for the crime immediately, but they suspected that it was drug-related and it was most likely a retaliation killing. These young men died the height of the violence that was to occur during the decade of the 1990s. And before they really got to fully live life and to achieve their dreams, have a family, have children, and have their legacy continue, they were murdered by other black men. Now let's fast forward to 2019. I'm in a Walmart and I see a woman who has a shirt on with a young man who looks familiar, but I realize that it's not so much that he looks familiar, but that the time period in which this picture is taken is familiar to me. It's obvious to me that this young man was a teenager in the 1990s, as I was myself, and that the clothing that he had on, the posing of his picture, just made me think back to the Kwame Day, Kwame Days and Public Enemy Days and that whole look. I looked and I saw that it was a shirt in memorial to this young man. I started talking to the woman and realized that it was her son and that he, in fact, was murdered. And he was one of the young men who was killed on September 2nd, 1990, coming home from a movie. The thing about Terrence or Terry, as his family called him, and Darren was they weren't drug dealers. They didn't live the type of life. They were good guys. See... Their problem was that there was someone in the neighborhood that they knew who did the wrong things. And on this particular night, they gave him a ride home. And the men who ambushed them and murdered them, they were after this young man who they were giving a ride home. 
they lost their life because of some nonsense on the street. Now, the young man that the five gentlemen felt the need to ambush and murder everyone in sight over was not killed. No, he wasn't killed. He he lived, actually. Uh, his two friends that, you know, gave him a ride, they were murdered, but uh, he lived. He did eventually go on to be um, imprisoned for some other crime, and I don't know what his status is now, and I don't really care, but these two young men, they never lived their lives. They never came back home from going to see that movie. I got a chance to talk to his family, um, to one of the young men's sister, another young man's brother, their mother. And she was telling me about how he had just purchased, her brother had just purchased a leather jacket from Wilson's Leather Company. And, you know, he was really proud and happy about the jacket. And also he was just talking about his future and his aspirations and what he wanted to do with his life. And um, it never happened because he was murdered, not by a white police officer, but, but other black men who looked just like him. And I don't know if there was a protest or a rally. I certainly don't remember that occurring. But I know each and every year that the families of those two young men hold a peaceful vigil, if you will, on their block where they light candles and they honor their lives. And it's beautiful and it's sad because you realize that these young boys would have been in their 40s or early 50s right now. And you can just imagine, you know, they had good families, you know, they could have been fathers, teachers, lawyers, police officers, doctors, who knows what they could have become. The possibilities were endless, but their lives didn't matter to a group of black men who decided to murder them. These black men did not know Terrence. They did not know Darren. All they knew is that they were in the car with someone that they wanted to get. And it didn't matter who these guys were. They were going to die. It didn't matter that they had never spoken to these guys before, that these guys were not a part of whatever underdealings or bad transactions that were happening with them and this guy that they were out to get. It didn't matter. It didn't matter that these two young men were other black brothers like them. None of that mattered. It meant nothing. Their lives meant nothing to these guys. It meant nothing. They murdered them. They shot the car full of bullets. These two young boys died immediately. This was taken from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Henry Spencer, detective, said that the four youth left the AMC Walnut 3 theaters on a 3900 block of Walnut Street at about midnight. They were about to drive away in a car when three or four gunmen sprayed the car with automatic weapon fire and then fled on foot. Spencer said police recovered at least 15 casings from 9mm bullets at the scene. One of the four victims attempted to flee the scene after he was shot, 
but collapsed on the sidewalk in front of the McDonald's restaurant at 40th and Walnut Streets. No students were injured in the attack. Spencer said police have questioned several witnesses to the incident, all of whom said the gunmen did not speak to the victims before shooting. They just walked up and opened fire, Spencer said. Killed in a shooting were Darren Norwood, 19, and Terrence Ryan, 18. Craig Dunstan, 16, was treated and released from the emergency room Sunday morning. My way back memory is from my father, Gilly Sr. My father was a gangbanger. Yes, in the streets of Philadelphia in the 1960s, Gilly Sr. was part of a gang in South Philadelphia. Uh, I heard a story about how one time he was in a gangbang, and that's when the gangs are fighting, and that he had been punched uh, so hard that his eye was dislocated, actually came out of the socket, and his boys had to pick up his eye and rush it to his family, and they put it in the paper towel and rushed him to the hospital um, to have his eye inserted. Now, I don't know how true that story is, but I that was a story that I was told. Um, my father also told me about the time that he had beat this boy and hit him in the head with a steel pole and knocked the snot out of his nose. Yeah, Gilly took great delight in telling me that story. I also have older brothers who were in, uh, involved in the gangs of the 1980s in Philadelphia. And um, it was just a lifestyle that they emulated and they really um, were honored that their father, Gilly Sr., was such a badass, you know, when he had a reputation in South Philadelphia. So they were just continuing that legacy. I'm going to share an excerpt from a film called The Jungle that was produced in 1967, and it details gang life in Philadelphia um, around the same time that my father was gang warring and doing his thing. Uh, this was put together by a group of high school students that uh, lived primarily in North Philadelphia, which would have been a rival of my father who was in South Philadelphia. Um, let's take a listen to this and we'll discuss. This is them walking towards another gang with uh, a gun and knives in their hand. American young young adults, teenagers, about eight to ten in each group, and so one is one group is playing dice, shooting dice, 
and the other is getting ready to attack them with the goal of killing one of these black men. So now they're fighting, really unprovoked. It was just a matter of seeing each other and then being triggered to beat each other up. And they're fighting in the middle of the street. And remember, their goal is to murder somebody. And now someone is just stabbed one of them in the chest and the guy falls down to the ground and then they run away and then someone shoots another person and then they start to disperse so even though this was a dramatization this film was based on the real life testimony and stories of these young men who were involved in gangs a lot of times they would gangbang just over territory that they didn't own. They didn't own the corner of Oxford Street or past Yonk Avenue. You know, that was just their territory where they lived, where their parents lived. But they had no right to that, that strip of land. Um, but they made it apparent that if you were another black man who came into the neighborhood, you were going to get beat down simply because you were there. Um, a lot of times they would fight just seeing each other, just seeing another black group of men who's not from your neighborhood trigger this sense to kill, to beat, to murder. Um, a lot of times people would just get beat up really bad, but there there were occasions, uh, more, more occasions than um, there should have been ever where uh, an, an, an individual would be murdered and they would be killed. And so we're talking about the 1960s. So this Violence, this cycle of violence that we're seeing here in Philadelphia and in other cities around the nation is a cycle that continues. And I think that history has shown us that if something is not confronted, faced on and talked about, it is destined to com continue. And as it continues, it evolves and it evolves and it adapts to the current status of, you know, the times, but it's still detrimental and it's still breaking down the African-American community. This has been going on for generations in the African-American community. I feel that it is a manifestation of a lot of things that have happened in the history of Black people, but you cannot overlook the effects of um, slavery and enslaved mentality on Black people. I think that Black people have been brainwashed and um, taught to dislike themselves so much that they have now taken on the legacy of um brutality on their own bodies that was first inflicted on them here in the United States by white racist individuals um, to the point that they have now perfected the brutality and have succeeded in being more um, vicious uh, in a lot of ways than the KKK and other racist groups.
Now, let me rephrase that, not more vicious because the KKK and neo-Nazis are vicious, horrible groups and they have done the most heinous atrocities you can imagine. But the crime that has been taking place in the black community, you know, for generations, not just in the 60s, but in the 50s, the 40s, the 30s, the 20s, there's always been violence. And there's always been a black on black violence there's an added sting because so much has been done to the African-American community to oppress us. You would think the last thing that we would want to afflict upon ourselves is our own battering and our own murder. Um, And the fact that there were gang wars when these black men owned nothing that they were protecting, they weren't the mayors of that community. They didn't necessarily own a home in that community. If they lived in a home, it was their parents or, you know, the landlord's home. These were young men, teenagers and in their early 20s at the time, a lot of them. This podcast was an opportunity for me to vent and to share some things and to hopefully start a conversation with people who are thinking the same thing like this. This is madness. How can I live my life fighting and calling for justice and for black lives to matter to a group of people who are not black when I know in my community that there are atrocities being done to us by us? How can I not say anything about it? How can I just be quiet or act as if it's something that is only used as a speaking point for racists or people who want to undermine the Black Lives Matter movement. How can I stress the importance of this and say each and every day without fail, there are Black men and women being murdered, murdered by Black people as well as white people. Murder is horrible. Murder is the denial of life at the hands of someone else who doesn't have the right to take your life from you. It's horrible. But there is an extra pang of hurt when it is being done as such an intense and and repeated cycle in your community and other communities of color and leaders don't talk about it. They allow it to happen. Every year, hundreds of black men are murdered by each other and we do nothing about it. We say nothing about it. We do nothing about it. But let one black man be murdered by a white police officer and we scream to the mountains how black lives matter. If you don't see the hypocrisy in that, I just don't understand. This has been Gilly Mack in the way back, and I am currently pensive in Pennsylvania. Thank you for listening. This is Gilly Mack in the Wayback Podcast, letting you know that what's old is new and what's new is socially distant. 
In the year of face mask and disinfectant shout outs, we have upcoming events this August 2020. We have Sassy Sadie's virtual story hour for grown folks, complete with snack packs that we ship to you. So that will be in effect. And also coming this summer, we have some time travel opportunities for your adventurer uh, with the Wayback Space, a virtual and brick and mortar time traveling experience. So make sure to check out these upcoming events. More details to follow in the next episode of Gilly Mac in the Wayback. So until then, keep safe, wear your mask, wash your hands, and please be kind. This podcast was brought to you by Filthy Philly Antics, Soft Pretzels and Water Ice, Tasty Cakes, Frank's Soda, not really, Open Fire Hydrants, and Chicken Cheese Steak Hoagies. Go Eagles!